all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Well, good morning to everybody. This is the program where you can call in with your health-related questions. That's right. We are taking your questions live this morning. It might be a medication that you have questions about or maybe an itch that you can't quite put uh, a finger on what exactly is going on. You can reach us this morning and we'll try to answer those questions or point you in the right direction. You can call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Glad everybody could join us this morning. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and you have reached Southern Remedy, the program right here on MPB Think Radio, where we take your calls and questions about all the things that you have questions about. That's right. Everything medically related to your health or the health of someone around you. Uh, we are going to do our best today to try to get to the bottom of those answers. Got a little bit of a follow-up after we take a couple of uh, calls uh, from some things that were asked last week that we didn't quite have all the information on. We always like to follow up on those. But if you would like to reach us this morning, there is plenty of time in what we have left of this broadcast hour to call us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven. Four six four, or you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Man, beautiful weather this morning. Uh, all that rain sort of cooled things off. I know a lot of people are having some problems with flooding. Our uh, listeners in the Delta, man, y'all are going through some tough times right now with all the flooding there and other places in the state, not just in the Delta. So uh, certainly uh, want to uh, have some continued thoughts and prayers your way, uh, but uh, but definitely uh, you know if you can help somebody out, man, that's the best thing about being a Mississippian. I think is when the going gets tough, we look out for one another. And uh, I have um, you know unfortunate but also fond memories of Katrina, of uh, just just the uh, the outpouring of. Uh, from from different places, all just all over the state, we really came together and shown uh, as Mississippians uh, during that time. So, uh, you know, those it, what some people may consider small disasters right now, help those people out. That's what makes Mississippi a great place to live is the people and how they reach out to one another. All right, we got a couple of callers already. We're going to go to David from Horn Lake. Good morning, David. Thanks for calling this morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I got three questions about CBD oil. Okay. Uh, number one, uh, if you take CBD oil, will it cause you to fail an alcohol drug screen test? And number two, will CBD oil interfere with any known prescription medications? Cause you know some weird side effects or in, or interfere with the uh, medication working? And number three, if you decide to take CBD oil, how do you shop for it? What do you look for to make a an informed consumer purchase? Because there's all kind of wild claims and places are giving away free samples that claim it to cure everything from uh, 
bald hair to hangnail. <laughs> You're right about that. It's uh, all over the place out there. David, those are three common questions about CBD oil that um, a lot of people would ask. Um, the first one, you know, just, um, you know, what what do you uh, – well, let me take them in a little bit different order. You know, one of the one of the concerns with CBD oil is you do have a lot of different um, claims about what it can be used for, whether that's chronic pain or – diabetes or hypertension, and it really hasn't been studied a lot. There have been some anecdotal evidences. Certainly people though will take it and say, oh, it did this for me, it did that for me. And that may be true. Uh, you know, in my training and most of, of traditional medicine training, what we do or we do clinical trials, and it doesn't have to be of medications. It can be uh, different surgical procedures. It can be all kinds of different things. But we also do those from time to time on new and emerging therapies uh, that aren't necessarily prescription medications. And CBD oil still has a lot of research that needs to be done on it just to see what is it useful for, what are some of the dangers of it. One of the problems with it, though, is that you don't quite know from manufacturer to manufacturer what you're getting. In other words, is it a truly the active ingredient, which is what you're looking for, and then other things that are in it. Um, anytime you have multiple people that are producing this and it's not regulated, you really don't have a sense of, of how much of this active ingredient are you getting. Now, David, I, I don't have any, you know, because there's not any kind of regulatory oversight of that, a lot of people will say these are the reputable people that you can get it from. I don't really have a list, uh, you know, to tell you that uh, to sort of advise you in that direction. But it is difficult to learn that uh, to, to, you know, get that information about who is the most reputable. I would say most of the time, if you talk to other people who are getting it, that's at least some information. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the best information, but it may be at least, you know at least talking around about uh, you know sort of their experience with the product. Uh, and a lot of people go certainly um, you know online is a huge uh, source to get something like this. And there's you know I've heard of some companies out of Colorado that are uh, you know at least have the reputation that they're good, uh, but it is a little bit difficult to to know that. Um, the other thing, let's see, what what was your first question? Well, well can you pass alcohol drug screen? Right. Test if you take it? Yeah, so again, it depends on how it's processed, but my understanding is that it, it would not interfere. I, here's what I would do. Because this is not, CBD oil in and of itself is not illegal, okay? Uh, you can you can take it. It's not the, the active ingredient in marijuana, the THC, is not uh, supposed to be at least included in CBD oil. I would disclose that information to somebody. If I were doing a drug screen and you were taking that, I would do either of two things. I would either disclose it. It's always better on any of those screenings that you say, hey, I'm on this prescription medication. A lot of medications can show up positive, like uh, some of the stimulant med medications for ADD can certainly be something that comes up on a, a, a routine uh, drug screen So, uh, for employment pur purposes or school purposes. So you always want to disclose whatever you're taking, even if it's over-the-counter. Uh, and not being an, an illegal substance, I don't think that that would be a problem if it was positive. I don't think that it's going to be positive. The other question about interactions with medications, yes, there are lots of, you know, and again, there's a limited amount of studies because usually, you know, you sort of have to wait till people start taking these kinds of things uh, and then to see. Uh, but you do have to be careful. And again, just telling your physician, hey, I'm thinking about being on this. Are there any medications that I need to be worried about? And they can, uh, if they don't know, they can, what I usually do, if I don't know right off the bat, I have a couple of databases that I go to that at least scour the literature just to see if there's some interactions. Uh, and, you know, people say, well, you really can't, you know, there's not a whole lot of information out there anyway about medication interactions. There's a ton of information and a ton of research down to seeing what the concentrations of, say, CBD oil and another medication in your body, how those are affected or how liver metabolism is affected. So just because it's, uh, quote, natural or over-the-counter does not mean that it won't interfere with a medication. But the best bet is to tell your physician about it or your nurse practitioner, primary care provider. And if they don't know, they can ask, a, a, you know, a pharmacist about that and, and, uh, and find the answers for you. 
Does that answer those questions, David? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Always good to, you know, sort of look at the literature on that. I'll tell you, one of the, the places I go to is Micromedics. Uh, it has a lot of information out there, up-to-date or sort of summaries. A lot of people have subscriptions to that. You don't have to be a physician to have a subscription to that one. You do have, do have to pay for it. Micromedics, you can find some places where you can get that free. Uh, and then there's a couple other databases, too, that uh, will have prescription drugs, common over-the-counter medications, and some herbal uh, herbal uh, substances or, or um, um, supplements. Uh, if they're available. But again, there's not a whole lot of information on a lot of these things. All right, we're going to go to, I believe this is Eamon. Eamon, did I get that the pronunciation of your name right? Yep, that's right. All right, and you're on the road, my friend. Is that right? That's right. All right, well, thank you for calling. What can we do for you this morning? Well, uh, last year I had, I was applying for my CDL, and I found out that I have uh, diabetes. Uh-huh. So uh, I got on a medication, two pills, two pills a day, and sorry, all right, uh, two pills a day of 500 milligrams of this medication, and I was on it for three months. However, when I went to check back, we found out that my uh, A1C was six. Ah, that's which, good. Yeah, from nine, and the doctor was she. She told me that uh, she was, it was a really good thing, and and she actually. Uh, Think that I did a really good job because I took it really aggressively. I like cut all sugars and carbohydrates completely for those three months. Yeah. So, so after that, she, I think she kept me on one pill a day or something like that, and uh, and uh, she said that if I get it below five or something like that, she would completely take me off medication if I do really good with my um, diet and all. So we did that. Uh huh. And I did. I was monitoring it really closely, and it was really good, and never got it above, like, 180. However, now that I started this job doing truck driving, I don't move around no more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, at least not in the ways that you did, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yesterday, I I felt something was wrong with me, so I, uh, I checked my blood, and it was 247. Yeah, it's pretty and, high. Yeah, and then this morning uh, it was uh, one ninety one. Are you off? So, are you still off the medication right now? I am. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, and and those are the key factors with you know that you brought out with with diabetes. Uh, it can be controlled. That A one C that that Eamon was talking about is a three month average of blood sugar. So it's a way of looking at the control of diabetes, and it's really. One of the main measures, you know, uh, he also mentioned some finger stick glucoses. Those are those numbers that he's saying about uh, how high his blood sugar was. And, you know, those can be fasting, just meaning that you hadn't eaten for six to eight hours before doing that. That can give, uh, you know, physicians and whoever has diabetes a little bit more information of how well it's controlled. But the A1C really is a, a big measure. So we want it... At least less than seven if you don't have, you know, any other problems and you're particularly if you're over the age of about 55 or 60, there's not much evidence that getting it any lower would prevent the risk associated with it of heart attack or stroke. However, if you're in a situation like you're in, Eamon, and you're a truck driver, you don't want to have any problems. Uh, it needs to be maybe a little bit closer controlled. You do have to worry about low blood sugar, so the choice of agent is important. And in fact, for CDL certification, they really don't like you to have be taking insulin uh, because it will decrease your blood sugar even more. And there's a couple of other medications. You mentioned your medication was 500 milligrams. That's probably metformin or glucophage is probably what you were taking. That's the most common, and it's actually the first-line agent uh, for treating diabetes. It's also nice in that it usually it doesn't drop your sugar down too much. So you don't have to worry about, you know, eating regularly if you're having a regular work schedule and you may miss a meal here or there. Usually metformin doesn't um, drop it down too much. Now, Eamon, Eamon mentioned that he's, he's been very successful in changing what he ate, his physical activity. Physical activity is really important with diabetes. It's very powerful. And if you have regular exercise, it really helps your body 
metabolize and lower the the glucose or blood sugar uh, very well. However, he's sort of stuck in a cab now and on driving or in a in a vehicle. Uh, and uh, what do you do then? I would say I would touch base back with your physician or uh, primary care person and just say, you know what, my blood sugars, you know, my my finger sticks that I'm getting are a little bit higher. Um, you're you're probably going to have to go back on the metformin, but like you mentioned, it may not have to be twice a day. It can may can be just once a day. Uh, but I bet that's going to be uh, your best bet. And I don't, uh, you know, I, I mean, my patients that are in similar work environments, I haven't found it's a problem, you know, having diabetes if you're on metformin. Now, if they were on something like glipizide or one of the sulfonylureas or, um, or insulin, that would be a problem. Does that make sense, yeah. Amy? No, it makes perfect sense. No, yeah. my only problem is I'm not a pills person. I hate yeah. taking pills. Well, they they make one, uh, you know, twice a day. A lot of people have problems with that. They make a, a formulation of metformin where it's just once a day anyway. Like there's an extended yeah. release one. And, um, yeah, I know. I mean, some, I was talking with a patient yesterday. Sometimes, you know, you're just not, that's just not the way you're wired and you just don't think about it. But I tell people, look, come up with some kind of way, something that you do every day. Maybe it's like, and metformin's a great one because you could take it with coffee if you have coffee in the morning. If you, you know, uh, brush your teeth in the morning or at night, you could do that. And particularly if it's the the 24-hour medication, you could just take it in the morning or night, honestly, and it wouldn't be much of a problem. But try to try to. and And I believe that it was metformin, you're right. Yeah, that's the most common one, and it certainly that would fit with the milligram. There's not really many others that have that same 500 milligrams, and that's that would be usually what they would do. You've already proved with what you were doing before and the medication, you can get it down. I think you know with just a little bit of metformin on board and doing what you're doing, trying to you know make some good, uh, continue to make some good choices on what you eat, and uh, that that may help it out enough to get it down where it needs to be. But le- in your case, I'd probably. You know, around six for an A1C, that's going to be fine. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for calling. All right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got uh, one caller on the line and plenty of time for you to call in. This is Southern Remedy, and you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, and uh, got a lot of good calls so far about some uh, some supplements, some uh, common things that are uh, that are affecting people, and maybe some different ways to treat that, like diabetes, certainly a a common chronic disease that we have, particularly here in the South and in Mississippi. And a uh, good thing about it is it is treatable. You do have to sort of stay on top of it. It's not something that you can most of the time be, um, you know, cured of. It's something that you can manage either with medication, um, with, of course, always with what you eat and exercise, just and particularly in diabetes. It's really, I, you know, I, f- physicians get the bad rap sometime, and some of us are like this, where we were like, hey, I got a medication that can cure that. And that a lot of times, thankfully, we have, you know, if you compare it to 80 years ago, 
we didn't have much and uh, now we have a lot of good things and a lot of good treatments. We can uh, we can treat things. We can prolong life. We can have better lifestyles. But uh, sometimes people will say, well, you physicians, you're just always adding more medication, adding more medication. I'm taking so many medications. I'm one of those crazy physicians that love. I mean, if you want to make me jump up and down and cheer in the exam room, uh, with my patients, it's when they get off of medications. If they're doing everything right, they've lost weight, they've changed what they're eating, they're exercising uh, frequently, they've had much better lifestyles, and their diabetes is better, their um, their hypertension is better, their heart disease is better. I get excited about that. I mean, it's not that those things don't work. If you do them, most of the time they will have an impact. You may not get off of all your medications, but certainly you can, uh, you know, most of the time decrease the amount of medications that you're taking or decrease the amounts. And that is something to really celebrate. Um, that is good medicine, good preventive medicine in preventing a lot of these uh, chronic diseases, but also, uh, you know, good in treating them as well. So just wanted to plug that out there. That certainly, uh, Eamon mentioned that and how, you know, as part of his treatment for, for diabetes, he was uh, had done a lot better. So hats off to people like him, and that should be some motivation for everybody else out there uh, to do the same. All right, we're going to go to Marsha, who's in Jackson. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. Got a question about the A1C. Sure. I, I am diabetic, and my A1C is running at around 6.3 or something like that. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Is there anything, a formula or something on the Internet that correlates, you know, the 6.3 to whatever the average sugar, you know, finger stick sugar is? Yeah. Yeah, actually, and I can tell you right now, I'm plugging this in my uh, (laughs) handy-dandy in my phone um, about that. So 6.3, just off the top of my head, that's probably going to be somewhere around 130, 140-ish, somewhere around there. Um, Okay. But if you will plug that in, are you pretty adept at uh, the internet or computer? I, 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 I was a computer programmer for 40 years, yeah. Oh, you're really, <laughs> you would probably run circles around me. So, yeah, there are tons of different websites that where you can plug okay. that in. Uh, okay. So there's one called Diabetes Self-Management that you just sort okay. of plug these things in. and. Uh, okay. I am way too slow right now to put it in there, but you. But that, that's okay. If I've got a reference, that would be good. Yeah, um, just if you will say A1C calculator. Okay. Actually, just search. Just do a, a you know a search for that. You're going to find a right. bunch of them, and there's only one way to okay. calculate it. So, and, yeah. and it can good. it can be affected in some individuals. It's a really good indicator of what your average blood sugar is for the last three months. Okay. And you okay. don't have to be fasting to take it either. A lot of uh, yeah, no. and a lot of physicians' offices, you know, will do it in the office before you leave, so they can change things if they need to. However, there are a couple of things like because basically what it's measuring, it's measuring a percentage of uh, red blood cells that um, the hemoglobin gets glycosylated is the fancy term. So this right. glucose molecule will attach itself to the hemoglobin molecule, and okay. we basically measure a percentage of that. So the higher, the more glucose you have around, the more percentage of red of the hemoglobin is going to be tagged with it uh, okay. naturally. However, if you, have, uh, if you have some problems with, say, anemia, or uh, you've had a blood transfusion, all those things can affect the A1C. So there are some, you know, rare instances that you might have some, that may not be the most accurate measurement of what your true blood sugar is. Um, So that's, that, that's another sort of caveat of it. But yeah, Marsha, you can, you can go online and just look that up and it should, you can plug in the numbers. You don't, you know, you can find the equation. It is a long and complicated equation. Don't do that. Find one of those websites, put, choose one of them where you can just plug in the number like Celsius to Fahrenheit, one of those, yeah. and it'll tell you yeah, exactly what it is. Right. Okay. All right. Now, another curious question is it because 6.3 is easier to remember than 130. I mean, why do they not just say it's, you have an average of 130 over four months or whatever. 
three months. Away. Well, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people will do that. Like a lot of offices will do that, and sometimes in on uh, we we use Epic as a uh, that's the name of the uh, of the company that uh, does the electronic health record at our institution. Yeah. And sometimes you you can add that to the the printed off portion or the portion that gets emailed to somebody in their medical right. record, and okay. uh, our labs report it that way too. So it'll have the A one C number, but it'll also have the estimated you know uh, blood sugar, average, average blood right. sugar. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's you know okay. same kind of thing. They just try. They were they were trying with the A one C. They were really just trying to come up with a simpler number that you would yeah. sort of shoot for and it, it has yeah. sort of muddied the water but I think most people are are comfortable with that kind of system if you go to Europe uh, mm-hmm. and look at the way they measure stuff because they measure stuff a little bit differently like for instance right. cholesterol measurements most people okay. here are very familiar with it. you know if you're if you've gone to the doctor you've gotten your cholesterol checked you know there's there's mm-hmm. sort of a two or three digit number there for those components. That's not the right. way they measure stuff a little bit differently. We measure in gram uh, milligrams per deciliter, and they measure in millimoles. So it's totally <laughs> different system. And you know, in the medical literature, sometimes it'll be totally different. But A one C is one of those things. It's sort of like an INR was for uh, you know management of Coumadin or warfarin uh, for for blood yeah. thinners. Instead of all the numbers that are involved with that, the INR was a way to standardize that across labs uh, to make mm-hmm. it a little bit easier. So, got it. Yeah, yeah you okay. know these these lab techs—they're looking for all kinds of ways to do stuff. So, Marcia, Google that, look for that, and uh, plug it in. You're gonna you're gonna know exactly what your average is. Okay, good deal. Thank you. All right, and thanks for calling. This is uh, Southern Remedy. That's Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Uh, you can reach us live this morning by calling one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Hey, summertime is here. I know this is sort of midway through the year. Certainly, the longest day of uh, of the year just happened. Uh, how are those resolutions going? Hey, call us and uh, let us know what kind of uh, frustrations are you have because this is sort of the turnaround point. If you're going to make it through the year and accomplish some of those things for your health, this is the time to really kick things in gear. So maybe you want to call us and. Uh, and uh, pick our brain this morning about those kinds of things. We're going to take a short break when we come back. Those questions and others and a little bit of a follow-up from last week. We'll be right back after this. Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464, or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning, taking your calls of all kinds of good calls so far and uh, plenty of time for you to call in with anything that you have a question about that's related to your own health care or the health care of someone that is near and dear to you. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Maybe you can't call right now or maybe you don't like to be heard on the radio, you can uh, always email us and we'll try to get back with you uh, pretty quick with an answer. Uh, We do try to uh, batch those over time and sort of pick the ones that we think that are 
uh, sort of uh, uh, things that a lot of people might be dealing with or have questions about. And uh, from time to time, we'll have a program that uh, sort of summarizes uh, those with answers on emails. But you can reach us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Last week, we had, I think it was last week, we had a question about, uh, uh, I'm probably going to, I don't know exactly how to pronounce this yet, but Kratom or Kratom, it's K-R-A-T-O-M. Uh, so uh, somebody, had, a couple of people had actually called in. We had one caller that uh, gave us a testimonial that it had helped her uh, get off of uh, uh, with a uh, prescription pain medication uh, addiction. Uh, so that's uh, it's a a substance that is not a, a medication per se. It is a uh, supplement that is uh, that's been it's been touted for a lot of different things, but for probably the, one of the more common ones is uh, treating uh, opioid addiction or withdrawal. But there's a lot of things out there about depression, anxiety, even cancer uh, that aren't really well substantiated. There is a problem. I I dove a little bit deeper into this, and actually the FDA has looked at some of the components uh, in some of the companies selling this, and there are a couple of unscrupulous vendors, if you want to call them that. So uh, particularly one, Cali Botanicals out of California and Kratom, North Carolina, out of North Carolina. Um, so they're, they're illegally selling some of these products. Uh, and really how they work, one of the mechanisms that it works is it um, stimulates the same opioid receptor in the brain that opioids and other medications like that stimulate. But it has been associated with uh, some negative consequences like depression. There have been some increased suicides in some patients with this. Certainly uh, interaction with other medications. A couple of the manufacturers, they did find some heavy metals uh, in some of those products. Uh, and salmonella, actually, uh, a salmonella risk in one of them. So you want to be careful with that. Um, and uh, certainly, if you're thinking about that, with particularly with some of these warnings right now, I'd be very cautious about going down that route to, uh, uh, you know, as, a, as an alternative uh, medication for some of those things. And certainly, if, it's, if you're using that and saying, hey, you know, I see that it can give you energy or increase attention and focus, I, at this point, with the, the concerns that they have, that, that's probably not enough reason to uh, go down the route of taking that. So more to come as, uh, as we dive down into the research there. Got a couple of callers on the line. I want to thank them for waiting patiently. Let's go to Jackie in, is that Itawamba County? Yes. Hey, Dr. Jimmy. Thanks for calling. Um, I am calling to say thank you to you. A week or two, I called asking how to find a good doctor yeah um and you gave me some guidelines and monday i went to a doctor who's board certified in both internal medicine and family medicine in tupelo and i am just just so pleased and relieved too to have found someone so you were the reason that i was able to locate this person so that's, I just want to, I don't want to take up much airtime, but I do want to thank you for your help. Well, Jackie, thank you for, for sharing that with us. That means a lot to me, and I'm glad you found somebody that uh, fits your, your, uh, your needs. Um, and uh, that is a, a huge, uh, you know, message out there. A lot of people just, they don't, you've got to trust your physician or your, your, your primary care provider. And that person ideally needs to know long-term what's going on with you. Most primary care providers, uh, they're geared that way. I'm geared that way with my patients. I love, you know, hearing what's happening with their family, knowing the nuances of what might work with them. And they can come up with a plan to treat whatever's going on with you. So, Jackie, I'm glad you you shared that with us. I'm glad that it's worked out for you there. And, uh, you know, think about that. Some of the things that we, we talked about, I do remember you know, uh, are, um, uh, you know, asking other people, you know, who do you trust? Who's been somebody that you really uh, trust for your own health care? Board certification means a lot. It means they may have some expertise and uh, extra training. Uh, certainly, as you mentioned, internal medicine, family practice, uh, family medicine, both of those specialties are very good at primary care 
So uh, thanks for sharing that. And if you're in a similar similar situation for Jackie, uh, as Jackie was, uh, uh, you know, maybe look into those things. A lot of times people just sort of stick with who they've got. They may not feel comfortable with that. Most physicians would want you to do that. Uh, you know, they they may say, you know, if you certainly people ask about second opinions a lot on the air and then to, to me, too. Most physicians, if they're not comfortable with a second opinion, you may need to get a, a different physician because really that that gets to the core of that relationship with the patient. So thanks for sharing that with us today, Jackie. Let's go to Graylin from Union, Mississippi. Good morning. Hey. Thanks for coming. I had a stroke here a while back, and I'm having a little problem getting around. I'm kind of dizzy all the time. Mm-hmm. What have you been, uh, Graylin? Have you? I'm I'm assuming if you had a stroke that you saw a neurologist. Right, I'm going to one now. Okay, and did they do any kind of therapy after the stroke, like physical therapy no. or occupational therapy? Nope. Okay, that's the first step that you need to address with your your uh, neurologist. Uh, so with a stroke. You know, we stroke is certainly common, and we most people would know what you know goes on with a stroke, but we don't may, may not know exactly what the mechanisms are. So basically, you're not getting enough blood flow to a part of your brain, and because of that, certain functions that your body would normally take care of and do, some of them involuntary, some of them voluntary, it can't do. So that can include walking, talking, swallowing. Uh, complex things uh, like uh, the way your brain works and processes information, uh, sight, smell, uh, sensation, all those things can be affected, and it depends on that area of the brain that was damaged uh, during the stroke, during the decrease in blood flow. So, uh, But, however, the brain is really good at healing itself over time. And most people think, well, once you've had the stroke, you can't get any of that back. What we know now is if you do things like physical therapy and, and occupational therapy, speech therapy, not just for speech but for swallowing too, a lot of times, even if you're older, you might regain at least part of those functions of the brain over time. So if you haven't done that, I would get back with your neurologist. They may even refer you to somebody called a PM and R specialist. So that's a physical medicine and rehab person to sort of coordinate that. Um, And they're going to put together a program that might can help you regain some of that. Dizziness is a common complaint after a stroke, and it may have to do with the part of the brain uh, that is responsible for, uh, you know, keeping your equilibrium. Uh, It is a little bit harder to deal with, but you might get at least some kind of improvement. And even if you can't, you can uh, help prevent some, you know, complications like falls and those kinds of things. But if you hadn't been through physical therapy, I think you probably need to do that or at least have an evaluation. PMR. Uh, I'm sorry? You said PMR. P- PM and R, yeah. So that's. PM and R. Yeah. Okay, but, I'll call him up back and just. Yeah, I, I, that, that's what, and they're going to be familiar. If they're a neurologist, they're going to be familiar with those kinds of things. And he may just send you to a physical therapist or occupational therapist first for an evaluation. But um, I, th- I think you can get a little bit better. Okay, thank you very much. All right, good luck to you. Thanks for calling. This is uh, Southern Remedy, the number to call this morning. If you'd like to talk to us, maybe you've got a question or comment about your health or somebody else's health around you, you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Edwin now in Fayette. Good morning, Edwin. Yes, I'm calling to find out uh, if you could uh, give some information on food poisoning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've had about a week now, and today is the first day I've been able to eat anything. Oh, that's uh, miserable. And I, Edwin, yeah. I was there a couple of weeks ago. I had a week long episode of mine and it's well, not any you know what I'm talking about. oh man unfortunately yes it is it is not something that is uh that is nice to go through 
So food poisoning, and when most people say that, they're usually having symptoms of nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. They may even have some fever, depending on what caused it. So it can be caused by a number of things. Most of these are related to bacteria that we eat and uh, in foods. And, you know, if foods are left out for extended periods of time, if they're not cooked properly, it depends on the type of food that you're eating you can certainly have things like salmonella poisoning, shigella poisoning, uh, staph aureus uh, is another one uh, that you can have poisoning. Some of these bacteria produce toxins, so they produce sort of poisons if you want to think about it that way. And that uh, is once they start dividing and growing in foods, the classic example of that would be the uh, you know, the we got the 4th of July coming up. We, I'm sure somebody's going to have some potato salad. Uh, and that potato salad is going to sit in the refrigerator uh, after it's, uh, you know, after it's cooked and after it's um, 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 put together. And then it's going to come out. And if you eat it outside or it sits outside or it sits on the counter for long periods of time, if you have bacteria, they can start growing on it. Uh, pretty quickly within a couple of hours, and they can produce toxins. If you eat that, you're going to have symptoms pretty quick. So usually within a couple of hours uh, to four to eight hours max, you're going to start to to have some of those symptoms of nausea and vomiting, and that's because of those toxins that it produced. The other way that bacteria can affect you is if you, you eat the bacteria. They don't necessarily have the toxin, but they reproduce in your body. So you swallow them. They're not killed necessarily in the stomach. They go down to your intestines. You may have some vomiting from that. You may have diarrhea that lasts days to a week. Um, and that can cause a lot of problems. You lose a lot of water and electrolytes. If you have other medical conditions, it can put you at risk for all kinds of other things. Most of the time, unfortunately, we just treat, have to treat the symptoms. If you treat somebody, uh, what, they, what we know about if you treat them with antibiotics, if you're really, really, really sick and you're in the hospital or you have some other uh, you know, uh, bad uh, chronic uh, diseases, then you may need to be treated for it with an, with an antibiotic to kill the bacteria. However, if you're not and you're able to be home and you're just, you know, you're able to keep up with your fluid losses that you have uh, and you're, you're able to eat, uh, at least drink fluids, then most of the time we don't treat those just because it can prolong how long you have the symptoms and it might even make it easier to transfer to somebody else. Uh, biggest way you can, um, you can prevent this is making sure you're washing your hands, uh, making sure that you're preparing food appropriately. If you're dealing with raw food, you don't want to use the same utensils or bowls and transferring it back and forth. Making sure it's covered and in the refrigerator for uh, you know appropriate periods of time. If it's been out a long time, unfortunately, you may have to just trash it instead of uh, putting it back in. But even then, sometimes, unfortunately, Edwin, it happens. But uh, if if you're on the if it, the diarrhea is decreasing, if you're able to eat and drink. And, you know, you're you're not stumbling around and, uh, you know, not not getting dizzy. I, I would say, you know, just those basic things to try to prevent some of the uh, complications be, would be what you need to do. But that's it's what you eat. Either it's toxins that you ingested or it's the actual bacteria themselves. And viruses are another one, too. I didn't mention those because food poisoning, typically we don't think about it that way, but it can cause similar symptoms and they can, you know, adenoviruses, enteroviruses, those are all common uh, common causes. You really can't do much about those at all besides just treat the symptoms. All right, Edwin. All right, so, much. Oh, you're welcome, and good luck, good luck on the men. Man, it takes some time. I know it took me about a week to get uh, better from that. We're going to take our uh, last break of the hour. When we come back, we're going to go to Lee, who's been patiently waiting. we also got time for maybe to squeeze in one or two more calls. So if you want to call us this morning, you can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be right back after this.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you this morning. Lots of good calls, including one about food poisoning, something that uh, is not, um, it's not certainly common, but it's certainly not any fun to get. Uh, You may be wondering how you can get more information about that, maybe how to prepare food, some simple things that you can do. There's a lot of good websites that have that. One in particular is the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention website. That's cdc.gov. If you look within their site, they have a food safety section. It'll list some of the causes and symptoms of foodborne illnesses, some high-risk groups, uh, you know, if you're pregnant, young children, older adults, if you have a weakened immune system from anything, if it's uh, a, a medical illness that you have or you're being treated for something, uh, what to look out for. And then it's got some, uh, some related links about how you can sort, you know, sort of prepare foods. Four simple steps that they say, and this covers a lot, so clean, separate, cook, chill. So if you follow those four things, check it out on the CDC website. Basically, clean up surfaces that you're cooking with or utensils that you're cooking with, particularly between foods. Uh, separate foods, don't mix them together uh, and if they can have some contamination. Cook appropriately, and that includes uh, the right amount of time and temperature based on the type of food that you're cooking, and then chilling it to the appropriate temperature afterwards. Uh, we've had some discussion in the studio during the break. You know, that includes, uh, I'm not saying don't, I mean, I love potato salad. Don't get me wrong. I am not talking down grandma's potato salad because I will eat it. I will eat a lot of it, more than I need. However, maybe you need to put it in a cooler that's uh, appropriately uh, chilled if you're going to go on a picnic or over to somebody's house. That's the problem with this is we, you know, you, you're carrying it to some occasion, right? Um, if you're if you're doing it in your house, that usually that's not the scenario. It's usually a family gathering with large amount of, amounts of people or a church gathering or something like that where everybody's bringing it there. It sits out for an, an extended period of time. And then you have problems. So cdc.gov, there's other ones out there, but check that out if you want more information. Maybe you're curious about all those little critters that could uh, set up shop in your intestines for a while. It is, uh, it's not a nice hotel experience for you. I can tell you that from a personal uh, experience. All right, we're going to go to Lee in Woodville, Mississippi. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Yes, look, I'm a avid call and avid listener. And also I am a three time stroke survivor. Oh wow. Man, that's hats off to you, Lee. You've uh, you've so, definitely been a survivor. But you need to tell that man that called earlier about the team concept. It starts if you're in a rural area in Mississippi, it starts with the people at those small rural hospitals and telemedicine uh-huh. and once they find out and diagnose you they will then get you up to UMMC with the doctors and the equipment that can help further your life chances of survival once you get that done They'll work with the people over at the Methodist Rehabilitation Hospital, and they have physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, and other people to help you. Take it from a survivor. Lee, that's that's great advice. Uh, certainly Lee's experience is a lot of what other people have. And I, I bet just as he said, that had a lot to do with his survival from not one, not two, but three strokes. Um, of course, the more strokes you have, the more risk there is involved with that. And he did bring up a lot of, you know, the issues, particularly if you, if you live far away from, we have plenty of places in the state and in our surrounding states that have, unfortunately, we don't have, 
the 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 best access to to medical care. Um, and unfortunately, you can look geographically, and there's a big discrepancy uh, between where you live and your health just because of that access is one of the reasons. But uh, Lee mentioned some of the things that we have in place now that can help with that. So telemedicine is one of those. So telemedicine is a link uh, from one, uh, one institution, one hospital, if you want to think of it that way, to another uh, that can extend those experts out there. And there's all kinds of cool electronic ways that they can monitor things. They can treat patients remotely. And then, as Lee said, if, if it uh, makes sense to transfer them to other centers where they can get the care, intensive care that they need, whether that's in an ICU environment, whether it's with specialists, whether it's with access to those other people for a while, it will take you out of your hometown. It will take you out of your county sometimes. But it's probably the best thing for something like Lee mentioned, and certainly his experience is one that a lot of people have gone through successfully. And uh, and so if if you you know if I would say advocate this in your community if you don't have it, I mean if you know people, talk to your representatives and at the state level in the legislature, uh, at local hospitals. Hey, do we have telemedicine? Can we link up with? you know, other people. doesn't have to be UMC. A lot of other people are looking into that, too. But it is one way to extend that care uh, to people that don't have it. So, Lee, thanks for sharing that with us. And, uh, and again, hats off to you for being a stroke survivor and doing so well uh, despite having, uh, having that many. Hey, thanks to all our callers this morning. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. Uh, I am Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us next Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.